Welcome back to World Changers. My name is Steven. Today we're going to be doing a short summary of the life of probably the most influential person in history. That person is Jesus Christ. So, let's dive right in. So, Jesus was born, well, A.D. and and B.C. actually signify when Christ was born. A.D. stands for Anno Domnului, the year of the Lord. And B.C. stands for before Christ. Now, people have started to change those and have other acronyms so they don't have to use Christ's name. But that's what they stand for. So, year zero is technically when we believe that Christ was born. But actually, uh, historians think he was actually born more around 4 B.C. It's a long time ago. We're talking 2,000 years. So... It's a little bit difficult to know exactly when he was born. But yeah, 4 BC, 0, um, you, you know, somewhere around that range. It's pretty amazing just to realize that almost every event in history has been categorized and dated based on when Christ was born, which is probably one of the reasons why he's the most influential person that we've ever done so far, maybe that's ever lived. So let's just kind of go into a, a quick summary of his life. So that's about when he was born, 4 BC, 0, somewhere around there. Um, but he was born in Bethlehem. And his mother... Now, as I go through Christ's story, some of this is what Christians believe. Others differ. But I'm going to kind of stick with the, uh, with Christendom and what, what they say about Jesus. Some people believe it's a myth. But he was born of a virgin. So that's kind of his big story is that somehow his father, who was God, the father, um, impregnated Mary. And Mary was this uh, relatively young girl, and she was overcome by the Spirit, is what it says, and she uh, starts. She becomes pregnant. And it's a little bit troubling for her husband, who thinks, obviously, what most husbands would think, is that you cheated on me. But she didn't. And she was still pure, and she got pregnant, and an angel actually came to her husband, Joseph, and it came to her and told her that this baby inside of you is going to be very special. And it seems like that's something we've, has uh, been a consistent theme so far in a lot of these great people, especially religious people, is that something significant marks their birth, their coming. And so it is with Jesus as well. So he uh, is born in Bethlehem. And while he's there, uh, he was born in a stable. Some believe it was a cave. You probably know a lot about this just from Christmas, right? There's no room in the inn. So what Christians believe is the son, the literal son of, of a god, is born in very humble circumstances. Joseph was a carpenter or a construction worker, and so they were just born in Bethlehem, which is uh, kind of like by the Middle East in the Israel area, and he was born in a stable, so pretty humble guy for being such an important figure. Um, soon after, he flees to Egypt because there is a king, and uh, it's Herod, and Herod wants to, to kill him. So pretty much there was a prophecy that cry, that there would be a baby that was going to be born and this baby would be a king. And this is what Jews had kind of been looking for for a long time was a savior, but not just a savior f- 
from a spiritual savior, but an actual physical savior who could come and free them from Roman rule. At this time, all of the Jews were under Roman rule, and the Romans kind of let them do their thing, but they weren't in charge. They kind of had an overseer who was Roman. And um, anyway, so Herod, who's the, the king at the time, uh, he gets visited by these three men, these like kings from the east. And we refer to them as the wise men. And uh, they said, hey, we're looking for this new king that's been born. You know, this guy is going to free Israel. And Herod was kind of worried about that. So he ordered all of the people in Israel at the time, uh, all the kids under two years old, to be put to death. So hearing upon this, they were actually Joseph and Mary were, as the story goes, warned by an angel to flee. So they f- they fled to Egypt. So pretty crazy that all of uh, these kids were killed in an attempt to save someone's power, which is just absolutely insane. But yeah, so he goes to Egypt. He ends up coming back and living in Nazareth um, in his childhood. We don't know a lot about his childhood. As we've said before, the farther back we go, the less we know and the more fantastical and myth-like stories get. But going back with Christ, we we don't know a lot about his youth. We only have a few things, and these come from the Bible. And one of them is when he's about 12 years old and his family goes into Jerusalem for the Passover and they end up leaving. They're there for a few days and they end up leaving and they, they realize they're in this big group of people, right? Like, who knows, maybe a hundred people. And as they're going back to Nazareth, they realize, whoa, Jesus isn't here. They left him in Jerusalem. So they go back to find him. They're all worried as parents would be. And they find him in the temple and he's teaching some of uh, the wise men. And all of these wise men are thinking, who is this kid and how does he know so much? And uh, at this time, he told his mother Mary that he was about his father's business. And so people look to this moment as an indicator that Christ knew who he was at this point, that he knew that his father was a heavenly being. Side note, this story is very similar to Hercules, right? So Hercules also is born of of godly parents and sent down to earth and becomes half human, right? And he has to like earn his godhood back. Uh, a lot of stories are similar to Christ's story. Either Christ was based off of them or they were based off of Christ. Historians aren't sure, but it's very similar to, to Hercules. So that was one of the instances we knew. We don't know a lot about his youth, so it's kind of frustrating. When he's about 30 years old, he starts his ministry. So he starts preaching the gospel. Um, one of the first things he does is he gets baptized by John the Baptist. And he says that this baptism is necessary to be saved in heaven. So that God requires people to um, be baptized in water. And that's that's kind of... Now, Christians, there's hundreds of sects of Christians, right? And people argue over the littlest details. So I don't want to like offend anyone. But because some, some Christians don't believe you need to get baptized. But... Nevertheless, he was baptized, and he also uh, fasted for 40 days to kind of start his ministry. During that time when he was probably at his weakest, at the, the near the end of his fasting, is when Satan apparently appears to him and tempts him, and tempts him to eat bread and to take power and to use his own power. And Christ 
withstands these temptations from Satan himself. Was this real? Was it a parable? We're not sure, but this is what it says in the New Testament. And so after this, it's almost like Christ is ready to go to start his ministry. So he starts performing a series of miracles, which you've all probably been familiar with. He changes water to wine. Um, That's actually the first one that he does. And he also starts gathering followers, especially his apostles. So he calls them fishers of men. And he says, come follow me. So he tells these men to come follow him. And we, we read that some of these men were in the middle of doing their work on a fishing boat and they just leave. So we're not sure exactly what he said or how he said it or did he have an aura around him. But people followed him. Uh, actually, thousands of people ended up following Christ. And so a lot of humble people are following him throughout his lifetime. His ministry lasted about three, three and a half years. And during that time, at, at certain points, he has crowds of up to 5,000 people that he is teaching. And his doctrine is simple. A lot of it might be common knowledge today, but at the time, it was a huge change for the Jewish people. So Christ was a Galilean Jew, born, I mean, raised kind of around Galilee, and um, he, uh, so he was Jewish. And the Jews were waiting for a Savior. They were waiting for someone, like I said, to free them of Roman rule. And this Christ in the New Testament was a savior more in the sense of a spiritual a spiritual savior, someone who could free them from sin and from darkness. And so a lot of Jews weren't really expecting that. So surprisingly, although he was accepted by large amounts of people, a lot of the um, higher aristocratic kind of prestigious positions like Pharisees and Sadducees, government people, people who were kind of running the religion at the time, they rejected him a lot. Uh, either they saw it as a threat to power or they just thought he was wrong, that he wasn't uh, a fake, a fraud. They rejected him. And so he had a lot of pushback and conflict during his ministry. People were trying to catch him. Um, lawyers were trying to catch him um, with you know clever wording and trying to find a lie in what he was saying and putting him in difficult situations. One of these situations is when they even they uh, they brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery to him and asked Christ what he thought they should do. And Christ said, you know, it's a tough position because they said Moses, you know, the kind of the main guy of the Jews, he tells us that we should stone her. But what do you say? And so it's a difficult situation. Should he follow the old rules of Moses and kill this woman? Or should he try to do something new and break the old rules? And instead, he says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And everyone ends up leaving. And he forgives this girl and lets her go. And so it seems like throughout his ministry, people are challenging him at every turn. And he keeps one-upping them. He keeps beating them, evading them, and uh, really frustrating people. What One of the things he wanted to do was uh, not necessarily ruin or or break the old rules of, of the Jews, but kind of add on to it. So his, his message was, I give you, I'm giving you a new law, right? And the old law of Moses is fulfilled. And Jews at the time had thousands of, of commandments. They had like a thousand commandments, I think 700 commandments of things you could do and hundreds of commandments you couldn't do. 
and they were kind of very strict religion. You know, you can only walk so many steps on the Sabbath and you can't do this and you can't do that. And Christ's message was kind of like a more mature message. Instead of counting your steps, it was more about doing good what was inside of your heart, you know, doing, feeling good in your heart. And, uh, but some of the, some of the things he brought were a little bit more extreme, you know, like he talked about adultery and sin. You know, you guys said that adultery is a sin, but I tell you, if you even look at a woman and lust after her, then you've committed adultery in your heart. So what Christ was asking to do was kind of be more mature. That's not track every single little thing we do, but at the same time, let's do better things. And this was a threat to people. And so, like I said, he received a lot of pushback. So a couple of, you know, fun miracles that he did. Uh, so he walked on water, which is one of the most famous ones. He calmed a storm, um, which is an amazing story. He fed 5,000 people with a couple loaves of bread and fish. He found, he paid taxes to Caesar by having someone catch a fish and inside the fish was a coin, which is to me is the craziest one of them all. He um, helped people catch lots of fish. You know, people, some of his fishermen, his apostles would be fishing and they couldn't catch any fish all night. And then he'd say, cast the net over there. And they'd cast it and then like catch all of this fish. And he healed the blind. He uh, brought people back to life. That's probably the craziest one. um, Lazarus is the most noted one who was dead for I think over three days. And, um, And then he brought him back to life which was amazing. And uh, yeah, he healed people with uh, any type of palsies. He cast out devils. So he was doing all of these things throughout this time. And, and if someone really was doing these things, you feel like it'd be really easy to, to think they're amazing. The other side though is becoming really skeptical, thinking there's, I mean, look at like Chris Angel, right? He does somewhat amazing things as well, right? But we all say it's fake. You know, and I think a lot of people back then were saying the same thing. Like, this is fake. This isn't how the Savior was supposed to come. And that's what threw a lot of Jews off was they thought he was going to be this magnificent guy, like a general who would lead them to victory. And it was this humble guy, humble kid. And they knew they'd say stuff like, "Who is this? We know your parents, man. Like, we know Mary and Joseph. You're not special, you know." And so a lot of people rejected him. And uh, anyway, so throughout this ministry, he's, he's gaining a follower uh, following. He has like his apostles, his 12 apostles, who he's really tight with. And uh, he has other followers, just general public, thousands of them. As it's winding up, the uh, Pharisees are trying to catch him in some sort of lie, trying to get him put to death. They're, they're literally trying to kill this guy. They don't like him that much. And the night before he dies, he does a couple things. Uh, one is he has something called the Last Supper. If you've ever been to a Christian church, chances are you might have had some sort of sacrament where they passed around wine or bread and you kind of you know partook of it. And it's supposed to signify the body and blood of Christ. And this varies depending on which church you go to. But it's pretty consistent. That is based off of the Last Supper, the night before Christ was crucified. And where he broke bread and gave wine and he told his 
his apostles. He was in a you know private room. Told his apostles, "This is my blood. This is my bread, and you need to eat of this." And um, that's that's part of getting to heaven and being saved is to partake of this and always remember Christ. And if we do this, then you know Christ will be with us and among us. And so, kind of a weird doctrine at first when you think about it, like eating his body and stuff. And but, uh, anyways, so he's ha- he has that. And at this point, one of his apostles, Judas, uh, flees. And Christ apparently from the Bible knew that he was going to betray him. So Judas had been working with some of these Sadducees, these Pharisees, these government people. And he said, hey, I'm going to tell you where Christ is. And um, people think that Judas was kind of thinking, check it out, dude. I'm going to tell you where Christ is. Give me, you know, 300 silver coins and Christ is going to get out of it. He always gets out of it. I'm going to be fine. I'm just going to make some money. Well, so Judas goes to tell them where Christ is and uh, and kind of trap him and, and bring him in. And Christ goes to a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And for Christians, they believe that in this garden, somehow Christ prayed throughout the night and somehow all of the sins of the world were taken upon him. And so it was this painful, excruciating uh, process where he bled from every pore is what they believe. And somehow he suffered the punishment that all of us have to suffer for sins. So just like in in law, if you steal something for every action, there is a reaction, right? there. For every choice you make, there is something that um, will be given to you after, some sort of accountability. And because uh, Christians believe because we sin and we do bad things, that we're going to have to be punished for these somehow, right? And um, they believe that Christ, he had never sinned. He was perfect in that sense. And he suffered somehow all of the past, present, and future sins, or the punishments associated with those sins, in some way. And now all he asks of us is not to suffer for the punishment ourselves, but instead just kind of align ourselves with him. So people like to think of it as you're trying to get into a very prestigious uh, party, let's say, and there's a checklist. And the only people who can be, come in are perfect people, right? And so the guy at the checklist says, Jesus, you're in. So Jesus walks in and then I, you know, I walk up and he goes, you're not on the list. You have, you have way too many sins. And then Jesus kind of says, no, 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 he's with me. And because Jesus is so good and everyone loves him and he's so perfect and, and he suffered these pains already, the guy will go, okay, sounds good. You can go with him. So that's kind of the the basic message of, of Christendom is that if you align yourself with Christ, you will be saved. That we don't have to be perfect anymore. We just have to be associated with the perfect person. So that's kind of it. Anyways, so after he does this sacrifice, um, he's walking down from the, the garden. It's kind of on a hill, I guess, walking down and Judas is there and the police are there and they're like, come with us. And, um, he gets betrayed by a kiss. Apparently, I guess they didn't know what he looked like. And so Judas said, I'm going to kiss him and that'll signify who he is. So Judas walked up and kissed Christ and with that kiss um, kind of betrayed him. And Anyway, so they take him and he goes to a series of different judges, right? A Jewish judge, a Roman judge. 
And what they end up trying him for in Jewish law is saying that he is God, right? Which is blasphemy. He's saying that he's the Savior, which is ironic because that's who Christian people, Christian Christians believe that he is. So that's kind of what they get him for. And he goes to a series of these places, ends up being with Pontius Pilate, who asks everyone, do you want to kill this guy? And they say yes. And um, kind of mob mentality, right? So then he as you probably know, uh, ends up carrying his cross up to this uh, mount, Golgotha is what it's called, and there he is crucified, which they put a cross of wood into the ground is how we typically think of it, and they nailed his wrists and his palms into the wood. And he, on both sides of him, were other people getting crucified who were um, robbers. And anyway, so that's kind of his story. He ends up dying and the big twist of his story is that Christians believe that he was resurrected, that he came back to life. So about three days later, in his tomb, um, one of his dear friends, not his mother, but a woman also named Mary, is there, and she sees Christ, and he's resurrected, and she's blown away. And he ends up meeting with his apostles and telling, they kind of all gone back to their day-to-day stuff. They thought that was a fun couple years, it's over. And he's like, no, it's not over. Like, look, I'm back to life, and this is my message, that you can, that people can live forever. And that after we die, there's still life, and we're going to be resurrected. And this life is for people to try to you know, join my team, kind of uh, repent and be baptized and do the things I want. And he doesn't ask for a lot. He just says, love everyone and love me, right? So that's kind of the message. So then the apostles, you know, Peter, James, and John, and Paul eventually— they went around preaching the gospel. So when Christ died, there wasn't a lot of followers, um, but these apostles started spreading the word. And now 2,000 years later, you know, um, like a third of the world is uh, is Christian some, of some degree. And so that's why he's he's so influential. So many people have been affected by his life and so many people follow him still to this day. And to think that... You know, a child that was born in a stable or a cave or or basement or something, you know, very humble in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago has affected this many people. It's it's really remarkable. So that's basically Christ's life. Once again, I just want to say, obviously, a lot of people say this is myth. They say it's fake. It varies from religion to religion, which I think is unique. Um, Islam believes that Christ was real. But they don't believe he was God. They just think he was a great prophet. Historians believe that he was real. They don't believe he was supernatural in any way, um, like half God. And so it's pretty certain that he lived. But whether he did these things or he didn't, that's the crux of the issue. That's what people have to choose to believe or not believe. And um, But that's kind of that's his life. So let's kind of jump in and do some fun quotes by Jesus. So most of these quotes, if not all of them, are going to be from the Bible. So uh, we'll just start reading a couple of them. So I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that was kind of his message in two sentences, right? No one comes to the Father, kind of like heaven. No one gets to heaven except through me. So none of you are perfect. The only way to get to heaven is through me. So that's kind of his uh, doctrine. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his soul? That's a pretty cool one. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. That's the one I kind of said earlier. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoso believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but the sinners to repentance. I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Kind of a scary one. Cool. Let's just head in and talk about some fun facts about Christ. So when Christ was born, there was a star that appeared in the heavens. A lot of people, there's different rumors about what it could be. Some thought it was a supernova, a comet or the aligning of Jupiter with the star Regulus. So no one really knows, but apparently the legend goes that a star appeared when he was born. So pretty exciting. So another fun fact is that we celebrate his birthday on December 25th, uh, Christmas. Um, But a lot of people actually believe that he was born more towards the springtime, possibly April. His crucifixion is honored on a holiday called Good Friday, and his resurrection is celebrated on Easter. So he was a Jew, and he did come to the Jews. But the Jews actually rejected him, and Jews today believe do not believe that Jesus was the Christ. They're still waiting for their Savior to come, which is pretty interesting. Jesus apparently also was a fairly common name in the first half of the first century century AD so I mean we don't really hear that name very much but kind of interesting to think that uh, that a lot of people might have been named Jesus you know often it's portrayed that the wise men were there when Christ was born in Bethlehem but a lot of scholars actually believe he was probably between one and two years old when they came and visited him so kind of a little twist on the Christmas nativity Last kind of fun one, John the Baptist, who you've probably heard of as well, he was Christ's cousin, or his second cousin. So, And they were born six months apart, so kind of cool. Well, to wrap up, just kind of want to do a quick summary of why Christ is on this list. So if you go to most lists online and, and you type in you know the greatest people who ever lived Christ is almost always number one and it's pretty hard to argue with that I mean with the amount of followers that he has today with the amount of people that have been inspired by him um, great and terrible things have been done in his name we already mentioned Christmas and Easter two of our biggest holidays in the United States are based off of him every year um, every date, until recently, every significant event in modern history has been categorized 
how it compares to Christ's birth by B.C. or A.D., which is absolutely amazing. And the fact that he's still affecting people today. So I don't think we have to really explain too much why he's on this list. But he definitely is one of the greatest people that have ever lived. I think for some, he's their savior. He's uh, the source of peace and happiness in their life. And to other, I think he's others. He's just a great example and a great teacher. Well, that's all we got for today. So thanks for listening to World Changers. If you have any comments or uh, suggestions of people you'd like us to do, feel free to send us an email. Thanks so much, and that's all we got.